Revelation chapter 8, and we're going to study tonight verses 1 to 5. And our theme simply this evening is the Lamb opens the final seal. The Lamb opens the seventh and final seal. Well, I wonder if you ever experienced a disappointing anticlimax. Were you looking forward to some big event, some moment that you had been planning for weeks and weeks, and in the end, well, it really wasn't all that enjoyable. There can be a bit of anticlimax at at holiday times. This time of year, people are getting very excited for the upcoming holidays. We we make lists of all the things we want to do, all all the old family traditions, the people we want to see. But oftentimes the holidays become so busy and so tiring that you get to January and you feel like you need another holiday or a real holiday. Uh, Maybe you look forward to the release of a new book or a a new movie and all the buzz and all the hype suggests that it's going to be the best ever, really worthwhile. But in the end, it's a bit of a flop. Anticlimax, expectations not met, a sense of, is that it? And at first glance, you might feel that way as you read about the seventh and final seal being opened in Revelation chapter 8. This vision of seven seals on a scroll, each being opened by the Lamb, it's, it's been dramatic. It's been powerful. There's been a lot of noise, a lot of drama, amazing sights and sounds as we've seen the Lamb opening the first six seals. Most of the seals in chapter 6 are about glimpses of judgment. Not judgment day itself, but judgments on a smaller scale. Uh, Particularly the first four seals we saw, the riders and the four horses. The sixth seal then took us right to the brink of judgment day itself. We we just read about it. Chapter 6, verse 12. I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to, to the earth. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. We're right on the brink there of judgment day. It goes on to say that the enemies of God and the Lamb try to hide as they wait for the wrath to descend. And so there's been this build up. All this noise and this drama, this tension, this preparation of the first six seals. Then we get to the opening of the seventh seal in chapter 8. Maybe it feels like an anticlimax. We're told in verse 1 that when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then very quickly we seem to be moving away from the seals on to the next stage of the revelation. You might be thinking, is that it? Why does the vision of the scrolls finish in this way? Well, if we study the passage carefully, friends, we'll see that this text is assuring us that the full final judgment of God is coming and that God is sure to answer the prayers of his people. That's what this text is all about. It's assuring us that the full and final judgment of God is coming and it's assuring us that God does answer the prayers of his people Chapter 8, verse 1, is about Judgment Day. Granted, we don't get that much detail about it, but that's because we're going to get a lot more detail about Judgment Day later on in Revelation. Uh, Nonetheless, the opening of the final seal clearly shows us that that judgment is coming. 
and that God is sure to answer the prayers of his people. Three things I want to bring to your attention from Revelation 8 verse five, verses 1 to 5. And the first is the sound of silence. The sound of silence. We live in a culture that increasingly does not like silence. For many people there are actually very few moments during their waking hours when they hear nothing but silence. We have radios and smart speakers in our kitchen Uh, People listen to music or podcasts while they exercise or while they drive to work. Uh, They have the TV on for large portions of their evenings. Uh, The the football team that I play on, uh, the fellas, even in the changing room, they have to have the music blaring as soon as you get into the changing room. Uh, They can't even abide a little bit of silence uh, in the changing room. Very seldom do we actually content ourselves with silence. In fact, for some people, silence is something to be avoided. Silence can bring to mind painful memories, painful circumstances. It can bring home uh, the fact that we're perhaps alone or vulnerable in some way. But it's silence that accompanies the opening of the seventh and final seal. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Why is this? What does this silence mean? Well, once again, we look to the Old Testament to help us with revelation. And what we find in the Old Testament is that silence often accompanies times of God's judgment arriving. Before God's judgment comes... As God's judgment is being poured out, or after God's judgment has been poured out, there is often in the Bible the sound of silence. Psalm 115 verse 17, for example. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. And going down in the Old Testament is usually uh, speaking of, of enemies of God, unbelievers. They go down in silence. Psalm 31 verse 17, O Lord, let me not be put to shame. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. So there's often this sense of God's judgment silencing sinners. They have spent their lives in sinful boasting, sinful blaspheming. They have had their moment to say their peace. And they have refused to repent. And when God brings judgment, they are silenced forever. Consider as well Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And that verse at the end of Habakkuk chapter 2 is coming at the end of a passage about judgment. About God's judgment coming upon the nation of Babylon. And so friends, the silence in Revelation 8 verse 1 shouldn't take us by surprise and it's not an anticlimax because when God executes judgments, the Bible shows us that silence greets them. The wicked have their mouths shut and they have their sins punished. One writer says, the horror of divine judgment has such an awesome effect that no human is able to verbalize a response. The the almighty and awful judgment of God will stun 
this whole universe. Paul says in Romans 3.19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. And so what we're seeing here as the Lamb opens the final seal, friends, is no anticlimax. It's the natural impact of God's judgment finally coming upon this whole sinful world. Notice John says this silence was in heaven. I don't think it's stretching the text to suggest that if heaven falls silent, if heaven full of God's perfect angels and his perfect redeemed people uh, who are joyfully singing praise to God, if it silences them, I don't think it's stretching things to suggest that it would silence the rest of the known universe as well, that everything and everyone else falls silent under God's judgment. And notice also that this silence, we're told, lasts for about half an hour. As far as I could see, this is the only use of the phrase half an hour, uh, not just in Revelation, but I believe in the whole New Testament. Uh, And usually books like Revelation, uh, apocalyptic books like Revelation or like Daniel, uh, the the time unit of one full hour is usually used. Uh, You know, the Bible often talks about the hour of judgment or Uh, uh, the hour of God's wrath coming. And again, when we get to Revelation chapter 18, you'll you'll see that language used. Uh, Perhaps one reason it's described here as silence for half an hour is because of the suddenness of this judgment. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man is coming at an hour or a time you do not expect. And Jesus then went on to teach several parables emphasizing that he will come suddenly, he will come unexpectedly. And so friends, the arrival of God's final judgment will be sudden and it will shock the world into silence, at least for a little while. And as I said earlier, we live in a culture that doesn't like silence. We're increasingly addicted to noise, distractions, busy work, and oftentimes trivial things. The next viral video, the next notification on the phone, the next all-night online gaming session, the next music download, the next series to binge watch on Netflix. And the danger with all of that is that we would never stop to think about eternal matters, the state of our souls, where we will end up when we die, Or when Jesus returns. When John's back with us, God willing, after his paternity leave, uh, he'll be preaching again from Luke chapter 6. And we'll be thinking of Jesus' words, Woe to you when people speak well of you. There's an awful lot of that in our culture today, friends. An awful lot of people speaking horribly about others. But there's also a lot of people just speaking well of each other. You go on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's full of backslapping celebrities and people making great pronouncements, people looking for likes and follows and shares and retweets and it's, it's just a lot of noise a lot of the time. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Maybe when you go into your office, your classroom, your changing room this week, you'll hear the proud boasts of unbelievers, loud pronouncements about the weekend's activities, 
God's name or Jesus' name being blasphemed. We need to pray for courage to be witnesses at opportune times in the midst of that. We also need to consider, friends, one day that all those mouths, all that noise, all that rebellion will be silenced. Fully and finally. Psalm 115 again. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Which will it be for you? Will you go down into the grave and judgment silenced? Silenced after a life of sin? A life filled with the noise of your idolatrous worship and your foolish distractions? Or will you rise up from the grave gladly and wholeheartedly praising the Lord and enjoying the life with the Lamb that we've been thinking about over the course of this weekend? The only way that will happen is if you put your trust in the blood of the Lamb shed at the cross for the sins of the world. And isn't it humbling to consider, friends, that on the cross, the one who had never spoken foolish or vain words, he was silenced. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he received no reply. There was silence from heaven as the lamb suffered for the sins of the world. But today the lamb is risen and victorious. And he hears the shouts of praise that his work is accomplished for his people. You don't have to be silenced. You can sing. You can escape the awful judgment to come if your trust is in the blood of the Lamb. So as we look at this text, we see this, we, we've considered the sound of silence. But secondly, we consider the terror of trumpets. The terror of trumpets. This little passage that we're looking at doesn't just bring the section of the seven seals to an end. Uh, it also begins the next main section of Revelation as well. If you look at chapter 8 verse 2. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So once again we have the number seven. Uh, we've had seven letters to seven churches. We've had the seven seals in the scroll. And now we have seven trumpets. <clears throat> I don't want to say too much more about the seven trumpets at this stage. God willing, we will come back to Revelation at some point next year and we'll get into the the cycle of the seven trumpets. But since they're mentioned here immediately after the seventh seal is opened, uh, it's worth considering briefly what the trumpets represent, at least in general terms. And again, drawing on what we find in the Old Testament and all through the Bible We see, friends, that trumpets announce judgment. Excuse me. Trumpets announce judgment. And not that judgment is coming, but that judgment has come. When the trumpet blasts, it is too late. Judgment has arrived. And perhaps the most famous example of this is the story we read earlier of the fall of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6. You remember, Joshua, you remember Jericho was a great city in the land of Canaan. The first city to fall into the, the hands of God's people. And you remember the battle plan that God gave to the Israelites. Joshua 6 verse 3. 
You shall march around the city, all the men of war. Thus you shall do for six days. March around the city. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times. But what happened as the people marched around the city on the seventh day? Seven priests blew seven trumpets. And it wasn't so much a warning to escape God's judgment. As I say, it was the announcement of the arrival of God's judgment. As the seven priests blew their seven trumpets, the people marched around the city for the seventh time that day. And the walls of the city fell down. And every man, as we read earlier, went straight ahead up into the city and carried out God's divine judgment. And here in chapter 8, verse 2, similarly, we have seven angels blowing seven trumpets. It's not an opportunity for people to escape God's judgment. At least the seventh trumpet will, will not be an opportunity for God's people to escape the judgment. It will be an announcement that that judgment has come. And so both the sound of silence and the blare of the trumpets underlines the point. And there are other times in scripture as well, friends, where the sound of the trumpet marks the point of no turning back. Exodus chapter 19 tells us that a trumpet blasted on Mount Sinai, announcing God's presence on the mountain. And after that moment, if anyone or even anything, any animal touched the mountain, they would die. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So friends, this moment in future when the trumpet blasts will be a terrible moment if you do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The sound of the trumpet will tell you that it's too late. You're out of time. Your judge is here. But he's not here yet. The trumpet has not yet sounded. We're still living in the day of grace. Your creator, your judge, your king has warned you that the day of judgment is coming. That's one of the purposes of the book of Revelation, indeed of God's whole word. It's here to change our perspective. To shake us out of any apathy or unbelief or casual attitude we might have to our relationship with God. He is warning you. Time after time in this book, judgment day is coming. Repent while you can. Flee to the Lamb while you can. Because soon it will be too late. Christian, are you not so thankful that you have nothing to fear from the sound of the trumpet? It won't be a terrible sound for us at all. It will actually be a welcome sound if our trust is in the blood of the Lamb. Because it will mean he's finally coming back. We are going to get to be with him. But nonetheless, knowing that that trumpet blast is due to come, friends, should it not make us all the more urgent in our evangelism? Should it not make us all the more burdened for lost loved ones and lost neighbours and a lost nation? 
Acts 2 verse 40 says that Peter during his sermon on the day of Pentecost with many other words testified and continued to exhort them, to plead with them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. We need to have that same sense of urgency. We need to stop worrying about being embarrassed or stop worrying about what the reaction will be. Because someday soon the seventh and final trumpet will blast and it will be too late to say another word. Now is the day of grace. Now is the day of repentance. If today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So the seventh seal, it gives us the sound of silence. It gives us the terror of the trumpet. And thirdly and finally, friends, it reminds us about the power of prayer. It reminds us about the power of prayer. Look at chapter 8, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. There were two altars at the Old Testament temple that the priests used every day. One was an altar of blood. It was the altar in which the animals were sacrificed every morning and every evening. A lamb would be offered up on that altar, an altar of blood. But then also there was the altar of incense. This was an altar of hot coals upon which incense was poured. And the sweet smell of that incense would waft up through the temple and above the temple uh, for the people to see that it was going up into the atmosphere. And it was a, a beautiful, sweet smell. As human beings, we're attracted to, to beautiful smells and aromas, aren't we? Maybe some of you were attracted to the smell of a roast dinner this afternoon, not, not long after worship. Perhaps we have our, our favorite perfumes or aftershaves that will be in the stockings this Christmas. Uh, there are particular smells that bring a smile to our face. Well, incense creates this beautiful aroma, this sweet smell in the temple And it's a picture for us, friends. It's a picture of the delight that God takes in his people's prayers. It's a picture of prayer ascending to God and being pleasant and pleasing and attractive to him. The Psalms that we sing talk about this from time to time as well. We are called the worship this evening, Psalm 141. Let my prayer be like the offering of incense, sweet, pleasing, attractive to God. And here in Revelation chapter 8, friends, we're being assured that God has not forgotten about the prayers of his people. In fact, just to reassure us uh, all the more about that, we're told in verse 3 that the angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense, lots of incense, to pour upon the prayers of the saints. God has not forgotten about the prayers of his people. Remember what we read about the opening of the fifth seal, chapter 6, verse 9. John saw martyred saints praying to God. Chapter 6, verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, (coughs) how long before you will judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? Remember there, those are perfect saints with 
perfect knowledge, not praying spiteful or vengeful or bitter prayers, but praying for vindication nonetheless, praying for God to put right the wrongs of the world, praying for God to bring judgment upon his enemies. And chapter 6, verse 11 says that those praying saints were told, quote, to wait a little longer. That's one of the ways that God sometimes answers our prayers, friends. Sometimes he answers yes. Sometimes he answers no. Sometimes he answers later. And in chapter 6, verse 11, the answer to the martyred saints is later. Judgment is coming, just not yet. But now in chapter 8, the waiting is over. And in response to his people's prayers, God's judgment comes. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on on the earth. Threw it on the earth. Threw the fire, the judgment of God, friends, on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. All of that language, of course, again, all through the Bible, the language of judgment poured out. We see it even in the Psalms, one of the Psalms that we'll sing in a few moments. Fire, scorching heat, eternal, conscious torment. Where will you be when this judgment is poured out? I ask it not just of of those of you here in the building, but any who may be listening online. Will you be trying to hide from the wrath of the Lamb? Futile, foolish, too late. Or will you be at his side amongst those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, who have been praying to him, Longing for the day when he comes, silences the earth, judges his enemies and makes all things new. There's something else I want to draw out of this passage. Something else to take away from this picture of the incense going up to God. And that is for those of us who are believers, friends, to appreciate again the power of our prayers. Do you realize that God is glad to receive your prayers? Do you? Do you really believe that? That when you pray in the name of God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit, to God the Father, he delights, he delights to hear and receive those prayers. The same way that your favorite smell puts a smile on your face, your prayers Bring pleasure to your Father in heaven. It doesn't matter how many big words you can or can't fit into your prayers. It doesn't matter how long or short a time you spend in prayer. If you're a child of God, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb, your prayers are powerful and they are heard and they will be answered by your Father. Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe later, but he will always answer your prayers. Remember that the next time you need to pray for your little toddler or your little little child's most basic needs. Remember that the next time you're struggling with the aches and pains of old age. 
Remember that the next time your patience is tested in the home or in the workplace. Remember this when you consider the needs of our congregation in the months and in the new year ahead. God delights, he delights to hear our prayers. There is no Christian praying better prayers than yours. No Christian praying more impressive prayers than yours. All our prayers, all our prayers have incense poured upon them. They waft up to God in heaven as a sweet-smelling offering to our Father in heaven. Let that spur you on to pray this week, dear friend. James 5, 16. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's like the evening sacrifice faithfully offered up at the temple each day. I think the reason we don't pray very much individually and perhaps as a congregation as well is because we just don't believe this. We don't believe that God delights in our prayers. Otherwise we would do far more of it. Or we think we don't need to bother. Or we think that there are other things that we can do that would be better uses of our time. Shame on us if that's our attitude. Prayer is not a waste of time. Prayer is not a letter to the Prime Minister that will probably get an automated response. Prayer is not badgering a grumpy tyrant who doesn't want the help. Prayer is the cry of children to their father. It's sweet-smelling incense that inclines our God to smile upon us in his grace. And our prayers will be answered sooner or later. Our prayers for our families for our church, even for our nation. So pray them, friends, and believe that they are powerful and that they are gladly received by your Father in heaven. The seventh seal reminds us about the power of prayer. It reminds us also about the sound of silence that will greet God's judgment. It reminds us about the terror of the trumpet that will announce God's judgment. And so we bring the study and the seven seals to an end. And we bring our communion season to an end. And I trust that we come to this point thankful for all that we've considered. We've considered what it will be like to be finally at home with the Lamb. We've considered the preciousness and power of his blood that washes us free from sin. We've considered the judgment of the Lamb that will come. Do you know this Lamb? Are you trusting in this lamb? Do you pray in the name of this lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, waiting patiently for the day when he returns as judge of the living and the dead? And are you ready for that judgment? Amen.